we've kind of gotten used to here lately in the last year, 18 months, 24 months of we don't have to make concessions. We don't have to give people 30, 60 days of rent, free rent or give them gift cards or whatever. You know, you pay for 13 months and we give you a month free. You know, we've gotten used to this market being that I buy it and I can immediately start going up on rents and, and I may or may not even have to do any value add. Below market, I'm just going to start raising rents and I'm going to make all this money. It's not the mistake that matters. It's how you deal with it, what you learn from it, and how you apply that lesson to your life. Welcome to Multifamily Missteps, where your host, Jerome Myers, brings on apartment investors from around the country, big and small, to share with you the lessons they wish somebody would have told them. These short episodes are designed to expedite your journey to growing a profitable apartment portfolio without all the mistakes that others have made. We're super excited that you're here. Now, let's jump into the show. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Multifamily Missteps. I'm your host, Jerome, and I've got William Edwards in from Charlotte today. Brother, you're down the road for me. from me. How are you? Just a hop, skip, and a jump, man. Look, <laughs> I, I met I met Mr. Edwards here at MFIN, yeah. and I was like, after hearing about his experience, I was like, man, we need to get on the line. I know you got some war stories for me, but for the listeners, they may not have heard of you. They may not know what you've been up to. So. What have you been working on over the past couple of years so that they can get up to speed on who you are and what you're about? Yeah. So in short, you know, kind of my, my testimony is I had a business. Of, we sold software systems, ERP and CRM software systems. Uh, for 24 years, I had a business partner. We sold that in 2015. And then around 2018, and by the way, I'll back up. And then so I started doing W2 work and 1099 work as a project manager in that same space for some friendly competitors and for some industry. During that 2008, 2009 era, right, I had some, I won't call them senior friends, more mature friends <laughs> that had lived through that, that period of time and had shared that they had lost a lot of money in that crash and didn't know if they're going to make it back or if they would live long enough to see it come back. So after selling my business, I started trying to figure out, like, I'm, I'm old enough now. I'm in my later 50s, by the way. I can see enough of the runway with my headlights. What am, what, what's the situation going to be like when I get to retirement or can I get to retirement? Will I be able to afford to retire? Are we going to hit? seems like about every 10 years, something happens. Like I'm old enough to remember like that Black Friday, Monday thing in 80s and 90s. And then Y2K came around and then the 2008 deal. And then now we're in COVID. Nobody could have predicted it. Or they, they, they might claim they can. So, you know, who, who knew, right? So I needed to start moving things in, in a direction that was more stable, preferably tax advantaged. You know, get get out of the equity world because of the volatility as much as anything else, right? Am I going to retire and then the market's going to tank? Or is it going to tank as I get to retire and I can't? And what's my lifestyle going to be like after that? So I started looking at other options. And I, and, and I settled in on real estate. I did. A, my wife said she lost me for six months, but I immersed myself in, in education and learning and podcasts and books and all that. And, and real estate checked all my boxes, right? But within real estate, there's a lot of different different asset classes. So, you know, I looked at retail, looked at single family, office, you know, triple net leases. I, I thought about that for a short period of time. But the one that checked the most boxes for me was multifamily. Single family was intriguing, but I figured out pretty quickly that to scale and get to where I wanted to be, that was going to be buying myself another job. And, and I wasn't ready for that. So multifamily was attractive. And I started doing LP investments as a limited partner. So I'm not buying and controlling those deals in 2018 and today i'm in about 5,000 units with as a limited partner with other people and other syndicators 
And then I just sold a 37 unit deal in September, and which we're going to talk about today. And uh, I'm in a hundred aggregate two other deals for a total of 154 units as a GP, Beautiful. as a GP and a KP. As a GP and a KP, that's a general partner and a key principal for those of you who are new to this thing. So, and by the way, I'll just interject this: the day I closed on my sale of that 37 unit that we're going to talk about today was also my last day in the debit two space. Love it. Totally out. Freedom, ladies and gentlemen. That's what we call that. That is exiting the matrix. So I I like the 37 unit. A lot of people think they need to go buy a thousand unit portfolio the first year. And then they realize how hard that truly is. And so some acquiesce and they just say, oh, I'm just going to be an LP and I'm done. I understand doing that if you've got retirement dollars, but if you've got non-qualified money, you probably want to put that to work in your own deal. And it sounds like you got to the place where you were LP, LP, LP. Now I'm going to do my own deal. Correct. So instead of going to get a hundred unit plus, you go do a 37 unit. And I've had people you know, ask me since then, why didn't you partner with people? I did that deal basically my own personal portfolio. My wife and I pooled our money and, and you know did the best that we could do, right? And I've had people ask, why don't you partner with other people and, and go to take down a, a much bigger deal? And I would have liked to, but the, the, the honest answer is I didn't know people at that point. I'm not as educated and I'm not as networked as I am today. And you do what you, you do the best you can do with what you got. And we figured out what we could make available to, to put in this kind of investment. And we did what we could do. And it happened to be the 37, which was actually bigger than what I was looking. I was looking for something around 20, but you know, you, you evaluate what comes across your desk and that came across my desk and we were able to make it work and, and ended up taking it down and, and running it full cycle. So why were you looking for a 20? How'd you pick this number? Because, you know, the holy grail is 100 units. Why would you do anything smaller than that? I know you said you did it by yourself. I know people said, why didn't you partner? But you truly, you picked this. I mean, this was intentional choice by you. Yeah, and so to kind of qualify or clarify, my LP investments are predominantly through a solo 401k, right? So I made the decision I was going to migrate some of my investment IRAs and 401ks and consolidate those into a solo 401k. Some restrictions on that are you can't you can't invest in your own deals, right? You can't have controlling interest in your own deal. You can't you know you can't self serve, right? So this ideal is perfect for LP investments, but for personal portfolio investments, that's as much as I could do, right? So. We looked at what we had in brokerage accounts, savings accounts. You know, what what were we comfortable taking off the table, right, to do this investment? Um, and I was looking at twenty because I thought that's all I, I the, the best I could do. This thirty-seven unit came around, and we found as, as part of the underwriting for that some operational efficiencies, like we felt could could make it happen. So it was a stretch. It was a stretch by. It was above where we were looking, but it worked out. Ultimately, it worked out. And it worked out fantastically, as a matter of fact. Love it. And the beautiful part of it is you operated your first deal with your own money. So if it did not work, you only had to look at yourself. You didn't have to look at a bunch of people or be awkward around the Thanksgiving dinner table because, you know, that's awkward. (laughs) Uncle Bob wants to know where he's going to get his money back. Okay. So you do this deal and it goes perfectly, right? I mean, there's no challenges whatsoever other than it was a bigger stretch than what you planned on doing initially. No, there was a stretch. So we had some challenges and, and they came up pretty early. So 
part of, and, I, and I, it, you, I've read and I watched podcasts and all that, but when we got to the point of doing due diligence on the property, th- this property was a townhome format is 37 townhomes across five buildings. And it was 2012 vintage, so not terribly old. And I was buying it in 2000, early 2019. So we kind of, we saw, we went on site to do our due diligence. I took some people with me and we sampled units. We didn't walk every single unit, right? And so we sampled one or two units in each building and we did not pay attention. We didn't, we didn't do a deep dive on the HVAC systems. It's 2012. They're only seven years old. How bad can it be? And so once we got control of the property, we closed on it, we started having a run of HVAC issues, right? And several of which early on required replacement. Over the first six months or so, we probably replaced about eight HVAC units. And, and what I think had happened in retrospect is that the previous property management group slash ownership group, they were probably giving the, the maintenance guys a directive to just keep things moving keep things working, right? We're not going to invest in replacing units and things. So some things we discovered were, you know, like it was a townhome format. There's an upstairs and downstairs zone. And so a zone board would go out and they would just hotwire the other zone to the, to the one thermostat, doing stuff like that. They have leaks. They just keep pumping free on it. Instead, of, they weren't fixing anything, right? They were just keeping it moving, keeping things going. And they could have been doing that in part because they knew they're going to relinquish the property, but I didn't have, I didn't discover it. And that's on me, right? I should have known better. And it, it won't happen again. So do you think if you went through every unit that this would have become evident or the way that it was done, unless you did destructive testing, like you couldn't have found well, this? Well, some of point. the, to, to your point, some things we would not have discovered, <clears throat> but we'd have seen some patterns in, in how some of those units were set up. We would have discovered the situation. What I should have done or what I wish I had done was hired because at 37 units, we can't justify on-premise property management. We can't, you can't afford to hire an on-site maintenance team either, right? So the, it was going to be off-site managed. We were going to be using contractors and vendors for, for all this. What I, I, in retrospect, wish I had done was go ahead and contract and bring on at least for a day or two an HVAC contracting company and have them come in and go through the units as well. We would have seen some things like the zone board situations. They should have been able to find those. That would have been a red flag, right? We should have seen things like where there were some, some, this piece part of the unit was replaced. This one wasn't. They should have both been replaced at the same time. Why weren't they? It would raise some red flags and, and cause us to go a little bit deeper. Yeah. Okay. And it's interesting that, um, you said you can't tell whether it was they knew that they were getting ready to get out. So just, band-aid it versus actually fixing it or we're well i think we might be able to figure that out when you bought the property were they charging market rent the the expense ratios look appropriate like was there anything in the financials that may have signaled that they were in trouble so we did we reviewed the work order logs right in the past work orders we did do that and we didn't see those types of patterns or or didn't know enough to to get clued in that's what might have been going on right but we did, we also had a, a companion problem, I call it a problem, on the tenant base side, right? So, and again, we probably, this is the second thing we could have done a better job of. We were do, reviewing the, the leasing files, right? Not everybody was meeting the, the two and a half to three X income ratio, right? They were doing things like no security deposits or $99 security deposits. And in conversations with the property management team, their perspective, and this is my first buy, was, well, that's what the market is around here right now, right? You know, the market, we can't sustain doing a full month's rent. 
as a security deposit. We can't, you know, if we want to keep, we can't enforce a three X income, you know, to, to rent ratio. So I, between you and me, my suspicion is there were stuff in the units to keep keep them occupied, keep the occupancy up, which had a downstream effect of once we got control over it, we had to work through some tenant replacement issues, right? So it took us a while, you know, eight, nine, 10 months to let some of those go away and release them and, and get a better, higher quality of tenant base. And a lot of, a lot of those nagging issues went away. Really? Imagine that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it does make a difference. So did you did you replace the property manager or did you keep the folks that were there on staff? I was afraid, I was fearful that I was not going to be able to keep the, the existing property manager because they talked a really good story and, and they had a good reputation. I don't say they had a good reputation. I don't know what the reputation was at that point, but they had a number of properties under management and, and many of those were nearby the property I was buying. So I couldn't, they, there was a companion, a, a sister property around the corner and they were managing this property out of that leasing office. Again, 37 units can't justify doing that. One of the things we saw in underwriting the deal was these expenses just, they seem too high. They seem that they're too high. And what we kind of figured out was they were allocating an expense based on a ratio from the other property into this property and, and inflating how much expenses were. So we figured out we, we, we could adjust that and manage it better. And I was fearful I wasn't going to be able to keep them all, man. They know the tenants. They know the property. They know the other properties around here. They know the market. Um, anyway, I just could not work out a deal. I just could not work it, and, and which was good. It turns out I just couldn't make the numbers work, keeping them on board. So I ended up going to another property management company that purely works offsite. Now the models are different. So for onsite property management, it's common to pay a smaller percentage. I'm just going to throw some numbers out there. 3% as a property management fee. And then you have the, the overhead and labor burden for the staff, whether it's a leasing agent, a regional manager percentage, a maintenance supervisor, maintenance team, maintenance tech, and all that. With a, with a purely off-site model, and I had to interview a number to find somebody who wasn't just doing single family, who could handle and had other smaller multifamilies. But for example, it was an 8% fee. So the model's different. You think 3% versus 8%, but you don't have the labor and overhead burden of the on-site staff. So we ended up replacing that, obviously, with using contractors and vendors. Um, but we, we were able to figure out early on in the underwriting that there was too much expense burden being allocated to this property. Hey guys, it's Jerome. Just want to let you know this episode is sponsored by Rental Meter. Whether you already have an established rental business or analyzing your first deal, you know getting the rent right for properties is absolutely crucial to lowering investment risk and optimizing occupancy and income. That's why the go-to source for rent analysis is Rentometer. Real estate professionals from across the country rely on Rentometer to help them save time evaluating local rents and rental market conditions. Don't take my word for it. Rentometer provides over half a million reports every month and they get rave reviews from their customers. I'm one of them. So go to rentometer.com to get your free seven-day trial and try it out for yourself. Rentometer, your source for local rents, comps, trends, property details, and more. Now, let's get back into the show. Did that impact how much you could get from the bank and loan proceeds, or were they kind of okay with the situation overall? You know, and again, this was my first deal. I didn't have experience. So I, it turns out I may have been able to get, if gotten a waiver, if I'd gotten an agency loan product. I didn't, I, and I went through some initial conversations, and that wasn't going to fly at the step point. Um, I could do that now. But I ended up settling my in my back pocket. 
because I had this other business for 24 years, I had a regional bank that I have a great relationship with. And I thought, well, that's, that's kind of my back pocket solution. If this doesn't work out, I'll ring them up. I'm good. Because I, I know them on a first name basis. I ring them up. They're like, we don't do multifamily. <laughs> Surprise. That's an asset class we don't touch. <laughs> we don't want any of that in our portfolio, sir. Yeah. What are you talking about? You got some cash from your business? Yeah, bring that on. Yeah. You want me to lean on some real estate? Uh, That's not okay. us. We'll do some other asset classes. But we're not doing that. So I ended up through a, a referral, actually, which worked out well. I ended up getting a referral for a credit union that does a lot of commercial and multifamily business. And that loan rep knows the space. We went through a number of sessions going over my underwriting, my assumptions, to make sure he was comfortable with what where I was coming from and what my projections were. And we're ultimately able to do that. And another plus, you know, I mentioned this deal worked out extraordinarily well. So in 2019, the the interest rate on that loan was 5.2%. About a year and a half into the deal, we refied at 3.1%. So that helped tremendously. Whoa. Some other things we did operationally were was because I was looking at some other properties in the same market and I was looking at the tax values on some of these other properties. They had more units and were more expensive. And I'm like, man, why am I getting sacked with such a high tax bill? So I ended up appealing the tax valuation. And it turned out the reasoning was because these were townhomes and they were individually parceled. They were being taxed as they were as if they were individual single family units, not as a community. It, it had always been a community. It had always been operated as a community. So I was able to get about a 40% reduction in, in property taxes. That helped. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. Like... Because that that's an expense. I mean, that money that you don't pay in taxes goes straight to NOI. That's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. How did you hire a consultant to appeal the tax? I did. I did. Okay. Again, I learned about him through referral. I knew I wanted to do it, and I started calling some some relationships that I'd formed over the years and and asked for advice, and and I got a referral that worked out and then helped me do that. Outstanding. Yeah. Outstanding. Yeah. So we reduced expenses. We replaced the property management team. We lowered the property tax burden. We refied the, you know, you got a, almost you know, two points off, close to two points off on the interest rate. During COVID, this property, ironically, we cleaned up, up the tenant base, right? We did some op- things operationally. Now, also, admittedly, me, just like everyone else, we're during this era, we're the beneficiary of, you know, compressed cap rates and what's going on in the market for our sales prices and things like that. But, and we not intended to sell it, to be quite honest. I don't know if you want to go this this part of the conversation, but after about two years, I started getting unsolicited calls from brokers asking. I'm sure. I'm sure the brokers have a have a tickler, right? Once this property's been owned for a certain number amount of time, ring them up and we'll see what they're interested in doing, what they're going to do, and all that. And I turned several away and said, "You know what, ready? We bought this as a as a long term hold. It's operationally, it's doing great. Um, we're going to sit on it. We're going to hold on to it." And so a broker that I'd not worked with or wasn't familiar with had called and I said, "Well, sit, you know, send me your contact info because I want to keep in touch, right? You never know what's going to happen, or I may have other opportunities." Well, in addition to his contact info, smart for him, he also sent me an LOI that was much higher than what my back of the napkin, back of the envelope thinking was. And so it's like, well, you know, maybe we need to rethink this. This might be a good an opportune time to consider letting it go. And so ultimately we did. And so we had it for 30 months and ended up with a 2.9 equity multiple on it in 30 months. <laughs> but to, to be honest, you know, those first six months of HVAC issues and tenant issues that were griping about everything and wanting to be late and all that kind of stuff, that first six months, I was not sleeping the best of, the best at night sometimes. I was wondering, I mean, I even entertained the thought, if this trend keeps up and we can't right this ship, am I going to lose this property? Now, 
we didn't obviously. And at, at about eight months, things started to turn and they just went uphill from there. But it took a period of time to get things, what I'm calling stabilized, right? Yeah. I mean, when you don't know what you got when you take over a property, you find out in about first 90 days, whether you bought what you thought you bought or you bought a project. And then it takes time if you bought a project to get the project situated so you can actually make some money. And I think a lot of people who come into the space think, oh, it's going to work from day one, like it's new out of the box. And that's just not the case in a lot of the C-class properties that, you know, we're doing these value-add projects on it. It sounds like you did do some value-add components there. Were you able to grow the rents too, or was it just a... well, expense play. No, we were. And so this 37 unit, it was a, it was a B, it was, you know, solid B. It didn't have community amenities. They were nice units. It, like I said, they were 2012, you know, vintage, but we didn't have a pool. We didn't have fitness center, leasing office, you know, that, and that kind of stuff. We had a dog park area and, and that was about it. Um, but some things that, that we were able to do is, and this is entirely, I, I believe in my whole heart attributable to the work that we did before the pandemic started coming and hitting us so hard. We were able to, to maintain 100%, with exception of normal terms, we maintain 100% occupancy during COVID. We were able to maintain 100% collections. Now, we had about three people that got in the habit of paying late. So instead of paying by the 5th or 10th of the month, you know, they were dragged out to the 20th or 25th. But by the end of the month, they were good. And we raised rates during COVID. So we were a little bit below market rate. Um, and we were able to start increasing rates and stepping that up during COVID. So... Yeah, it is. We did. We did an increase rate, rate rent as well, in addition to control expenses. So, the the last question I always ask my guests is, what words of liz- wisdom do you have for the listeners? Because you gave us a ton of jewels here. <laughs> if you had to pick one thing for that person that's out there, what what would you tell them? You know, and, and this kind of goes back to the comment you made right before I just made my last set of comments, which is. We've kind of gotten used to here lately in the last year, 18 months, 24 months of, we don't have to make concessions. We don't have to give people 30, 60 days of rent, free rent or give them gift cards or whatever. You know, you pay for 13 months and we give you a month free, you know. We've gotten used to this market being that I buy it and I can immediately start going up on rents and, and I may or may not even have to do any value add. Below market, I'm just going to start raising rents and I'm going to make all this money. So I, I think we are all probably going to, you do for a reset at some point, whether that's year two, five, I don't know, but things will normalize at some point. They will. But the other thing is, you know, and, and you clued in on this too. You don't really know what you got out of the gate. You know, just do your best job, follow your heart. I made the mistake of, and I think it was, maybe I just didn't want to impose on them, right? We're there with a group. I'm going to, I'm just going to look at a couple of units per building. They got a day job. I'm keeping them away from their, their, you know, their work. Do what you got to do. Being courteous. I was trying to be courteous yeah. and respectful, man. I don't want to be invasive. I, I'm just this guy trying to buy property, you know. And then you realize you got to deal with that on the backside. And so you got to protect yourself. That's what I tell people. And you do. And go into it as if it's a business, right? You're buying a business, in effect, with each one of these properties that you acquire. I love it. Mr. Edwards out of Charlotte, North Carolina, <laughs> rounding Crossing home plate with the fat 2.9 equity multiple on a daily held for how many months? Because it wasn't 48. 30 months. 30 months. 30 months. Yeah. 30 months 2.9 multiple. The, the investors are lining up at the door for And they will not all be that way. But 
but I got that one. <laughs> it's a beautiful one to have in a portfolio. So I didn't ask this, but I should have. How can the listeners get in contact with you? Yeah. So my website is gddgolfdogdoginvest.com or www.gddinvest.com. And there's a link there to contact me. Uh, my email is william.edwards at gddinvest.com. Beautiful. To the listeners, the pack's with you. We'll talk soon. You made it all the way to the end. So that means you love this episode of Multifamily Missteps. I need a favor from you. The only way this show grows is if more people know about it. So do me a favor. Take a screenshot and post it on your favorite social media platform. You tag me in it. Who knows? We may have you as the next guest. I look forward to sharing the episode with you next week. 